Acts chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 8. But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, today we are celebrating Pentecost Sunday, and it is the day that is set aside in the church calendar for us to remember the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We are called Pentecostals because we believe the experience in Acts chapter 2 is still available for all those who ask for it. Well, that was shouting ground right there, Pastor Larry. Thank you. Brother Scott, sounds good. We are called Pentecostals because we believe that the experience of Acts 2 is still available to all those who ask for it. Now, there are those who get a little nervous when we start to talk about Pentecostals or Pentecost. They're not too sure of the speaking in tongues thing, okay? Or some people are unsure of the quote-unquote Pentecostal thing because they've had a bad experience with it. And granted, I believe we have all can raise our hands and say that we've seen things that probably wasn't of God. Would we agree? And then there are some people that simply don't understand. Ladies and gentlemen, because you don't understand something doesn't make the experience invalid. It doesn't make the experience not real because you are confused about it or because you don't understand it. Does that make sense? I want you to understand this morning that God would never give you anything that would hurt you and He would never give you anything that would harm you, ever. He would never give you anything to hurt you or harm you. As a matter of fact, let me read to you the words of Jesus found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Verse 13, Jesus said it like this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Father, He will only give to you those things that will help you and not hurt you. So if you ask for the Holy Spirit, He will give it to you, just like Jesus said. Now let me say this, what does it really mean to be a Pentecostal? We all have different definitions, and especially if you're from West Virginia, they certainly have a different form of Pentecostals than uh, we believe or practice, and you could fill in the blank and you know what that is. But what does it mean to be a Pentecostal? I mean, when my first church that I pastored, people thought I handled snakes. So, guess what I had to do? I mean, seriously, that was a big issue all the time. And so, because I lived in Kentucky, you know, it was the culture. 
And so we had to change the name of the church and the van, the, the name on the church van, because just a few Christians who do that pollutes the whole Because there's not very many people that do that. Am I right? There's not very many people that do that. But because a few people do it, it pollutes the whole thing. But let me, let me just remind you, we are not a snake-handling church. Period. And everybody said amen. You bring a snake to this church, and I'm going to walk right out that front door. <laughs> Am I right about it? So, and I'm not talking about weird Pentecostals, because we've all, we've all came in contact with weird Pentecostals. You meet them in Walmart, and they can't have a conversation with you because they keep bucking up in the Fruit Loop aisle. And so what do you do? You kind of go the other way because you know you don't want to see Sister Broadbottom in Walmart because if you see Sister Broadbottom, she might start shouting in Walmart. I'm not talking about those Christians. You say, well, is there anything about shouting in Walmart? No, I guess there's nothing wrong with shouting about Walmart, but why can't you pay for somebody's meal and be Jesus to someone? Why can't you buy somebody's groceries and be Jesus to them instead of bucking up in Fruit Loop Isle at Walmart? Why can't you do something nice for somebody instead of being super spiritual? Boy, I'm preaching real good up in here. Why don't we just be like Jesus and, and, and be Jesus' hands and feet instead of being super spiritual where nobody can understand anything you're saying because you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You understand what I'm saying? How many's ever met those Christians? Come on, just be honest, okay? And so, and I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying let's just be Jesus, okay? Let's not make things complicated, all right? So what does it mean to be a Pentecostal? Well, you know, I, I, got, I got three words to help you know what it means to be a Pentecostal. You ready for it? Number one, what does it mean to be a Pentecostal? No. Know Jesus Christ through a personal relationship. Know Jesus. We are called to know Jesus not just through the Bible, but we're called to know Jesus in a personal way to have an intimate relationship with Christ. Number one, to know Jesus. Number two, to grow to grow in His Word, where you become a mature disciple, where the Holy Spirit enables you to live this life. So you're called not only to know God, but you're called to grow in God as well as the Holy Spirit enables you to do that. And then thirdly, as Pentecostals, we believe we're called to go because those 120 disciples didn't stay in the upper room but they left the upper room and went throughout the world to preach the gospel. In other words, they were very missional. They had a mission to accomplish. So what does it mean to be a Pentecostal? It doesn't mean that we're weird. It doesn't mean we're flaky. It doesn't mean that we don't know the scriptures. It simply means that we want to know Jesus in a personal way. We want to know Jesus in an intimate way. We believe we are called to know Jesus, to grow in God, to grow as a mature disciple in Him as the Holy Spirit enables us to live this life. And then number three, we're called to go, to share our faith, and to be a witness to the world. No, go, no, grow, and go in Him. It's very simple. So we're not a weird sect of people. As a matter of fact, we are a part of the genuine church of Jesus Christ. And did you know 
that the Pentecostal movement is one of the fastest growing movements in the world. Promise you. Philip Jenkins wrote a book called The Next Christendom. And he records that in the year 2025 that the Pentecostal movement will be the number one movement in the world. Right now, it's rapidly growing around the world, especially in Latin America. Why? Because I firmly believe that people not only want to learn about God, but people want to experience God. Now, let me say that again. Some people come to church to learn about God, while other people come to church to experience God. And I believe that it is not an or, it's an and. We need to come to learn about God. We need to grow in our faith. But at the same time, I believe the Scripture teaches us that we can experience the God of the Bible. We can learn about Him, and we can also experience Him. Would you say that with me? You can learn about Him, but you can also experience Him. And there are churches that just learn about Him, but they haven't experienced Him uh, on that level that the Scripture calls the baptism of the Spirit. You see, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 5, I want you to listen to the verbiage in this scripture. He said it like this, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. You hear the words of the Apostle Paul? He said, I came to you preaching. I came to you with the Word of God, but not only did I come to you preaching the Word of God, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we're called to know the Word, but we're also called to experience the Holy Spirit. We are called to learn, and we're called to experience God. The Bible says in Matthew 4.23 that Jesus went throughout Galilee preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. So Jesus preached, but also people experienced the power of God. Now, let me tell you, you know why this is important? It's important that we not only learn about God and experience God, because what use is it to have deeper knowledge if we have shallow hearts? It takes the Holy Spirit to transform the heart of an individual. It's just not knowledge. Knowledge doesn't fix everything. If knowledge fixed everything, universities and colleges in America would fix the problem. Knowledge is good, but knowledge alone don't fix things. It takes the Holy Spirit on the heart of an individual where that man and that woman is translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Amen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said it like this, but you will receive power after you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, into Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. What is the promise of the Spirit? Jesus said, you need to wait because you're going to receive power. Wait, wait on it. Because you're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. Jesus said, you would receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, what is the promise of the Spirit? The pro or, excuse me, the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. The Father promised us that the Holy Spirit would come after Jesus went back to heaven. 
How do I know this? John 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. This is Jesus praying. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Bible says in John 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. This is Jesus again. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you will also bear, bear, with, bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You see, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you are to wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to wait in this room. I want you to pray because the Spirit is going to come. Jesus said it in John 15, the Spirit was going to come. And so those disciples was expecting the Spirit to come. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we need more of that. We need more of those people. Because those people waited for the promise of the Spirit. They waited for the Spirit to come. And when the Spirit came, the Bible says, cloven tongues as a fire set upon them, and a wind came in the house. And the Bible says they went throughout the city speaking in languages and everyone heard their native language. Not only did everyone hear their native language, the Bible says they went throughout the world, the disciples, and they began to preach the gospel. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts tells us that within 20 years, the world had been changed. Within 20 years, the world had been turned upside down. Why? Because these disciples received the Holy Spirit. Because anytime you receive fire, it's going to make you move. Anytime you experience wind, it moves something. And ladies and gentlemen, we need more of that. We need more men and women who are touched and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that will go out and bear the witness of the faith of Jesus Christ. Pentecost Sunday is about us being filled with the Spirit, empowered to be His witness, not only locally, but also globally. These men were so infused by the power of the Spirit, they couldn't help but to go out and to spread the message. You know what Pentecostals are? Pentecostals believe in a worldwide vision. We are global Christians because we believe the Spirit is poured out to the world. It's poured out upon all flesh. And we, you and I are messengers of that gospel that the Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. Listen, we live in a society where we have a lot of feasting, but we sure don't have a lot of fasting. Can I hear an amen there? We have a lot of playing, but no praying. We have a lot of fashion and less passion. We have more playboys in the pulpit than preachers and prophets. We have a lot of ball fields, but less mission fields. We have great organizers, but few agonizers at the altar. What's wrong? We have forgot that in our rituals and routines of Christianity, we have become dry and thirsty. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a spiritual alarm being sounded today. The Holy Spirit hasn't left. The Holy Spirit hasn't given up on the church. The Holy Spirit didn't take a vacation. 
the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and he is still pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. We still need Holy Ghost-filled, fire-baptized, devil-stomping, scripture-quoting, tongue-talking men and women of God who are not afraid to take the message to the world. You know when the Spirit came? When the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, it did three things. It Number one, it broke the gender barrier. Because... Do you remember what Peter said in Acts 2? He got up and said, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of, that in the last days he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. You see, on the day of Pentecost, God broke down the gender barrier. The spirit just don't rest upon men anymore. It can rest upon men and women and even upon your children. The Spirit can be poured out upon all. Not only is the Spirit designated just for an elite group of people, the priest, but now the Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. The gender barrier is broken. You know what else is broken? The generational barrier is broken. Because the Scripture says not only would He pour out His Spirit on all flesh, but the old men and young men would see dreams and visions. Do you see the parallel? old men and young men, there's a generational gap there. But when the Spirit came on Pentecost, it filled not only men and women, but it also broke down generational barriers and said that your young men can receive the Spirit just like your old men can receive the Spirit. And when the Spirit came, not only did it break down gender barriers, not only did it break down generational barriers, but it broke down racial barriers. Because not only did the Jews receive the Spirit, but Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, who is a Gentile, received the Spirit. Because God is saying in the last days, my Spirit is not for black flesh and white flesh. My Spirit is for all flesh. It's for Gentile. It's for Jewish. It's for everyone. Can somebody say praise God? That is why racism is of the enemy. Oh my. I'm going to say that again. That's why racism is of the enemy. Because when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, it broke down racial barriers. God is saying, what I want to do, I want to bring them together. You know what they did on the day of Pentecost? It was called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. Because the priest, early in the morning on the Feast of Pentecost, he would go get two loaves of bread, two loaves of bread. He would walk outside of the temple with two loaves of bread and he would wave it before the Lord. Wave it before the Lord. Do you know what God was doing? God is saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the Gentile flesh. That's one loaf of bread. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon the Jewish flesh. 
and they're both going to stand before me justified in the presence of God. No longer am I just going to pour out my spirit on one group of people, but now I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So you know what the Lord is saying? He's calling the women out of the kitchen and telling them to preach the gospel. He's telling the young men to preach the gospel. He's telling some of you old folks, it's not over yet. The spirit is being poured out. The spirit is being poured out upon our teenagers. The spirit is being poured out upon our children. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He breaks down gender barriers. He breaks down generational barriers. And he breaks down racial barriers. See, Moses, Moses spoke of this. You don't have to turn there. But look what Moses said all the way in the book of Numbers. Moses didn't even know what he was talking about, but he was prophetically speaking of a day that would come where God's Spirit would be poured out upon all people. Now, most theologians believe that Numbers chapter 6 is the Acts, is the Acts of the Old Testament. Because you've got to read the whole story. The Spirit was being poured out upon 70 people. They begin to prophesy. And we don't have time to read all of that, but I want you to see this. In Numbers chapter 11, verse number 29, I want you to see the phrase that Moses says here to the people of God. The Spirit was poured out, and they begin to prophesy in Numbers chapter 11. In verse number 29, this is what Moses begins to say. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Or that all of Lord, or that all of the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit up on them. You see, Moses was saying, after the spirit came upon the 70 and they begin to prophesy, at the end of this chapter, he says, All that the Spirit would be poured out, and that we would be prophets, that we would proclaim the word of God. Oh, that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. Well, guess what, Moses? It was poured out on Acts chapter 2 and all of God's people became prophets because they left the upper room and they began to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. You see, that's what Pentecost is. Pentecost is the acknowledgement that God uses men, God uses women, God uses the old, God uses the young, God uses children. The Spirit now is available to all. Woo! Hallelujah! It's available to all. Now, to help you understand this, let me just start with this. Because every pastor should be a teacher, right? You know, and you know, you hear people say, boy, he's a good preacher, but he's not a good teacher. That, that doesn't exist. Do you all know that? Because if you're not a good teacher, you're not a good preacher. Okay, so it, there's really, it's one and the same. If you're going to be a preacher, you've got to be a good teacher. So I want to say this. Number one, to help us better understand Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to ask you two questions. Okay, two questions. The very first question is this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Because let's make a foundation. I mean, if we're going to study about the gifts of the Spirit and what happened on the day of Pentecost, we first must establish who is the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that? And let me say this. The Holy Spirit is not an influence. He's not a force. 
It's not an it, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. I want you to say that with me. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existence with the Father. Now, one scripture, one scripture is called the Great Trinitarian Prayer, uh, which is found in, I'm veering off of my notes in just a moment, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter number 13, 2 Corinthians chapter number 13, and I want you to see it, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14, the Holy Spirit is listed with the Son, and the Holy Spirit is listed with the Father in this great Trinitarian prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So even in the early epistles, they were referring to the Holy Spirit as the member of the Trinity or the Godhead. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a person. Jesus does not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He refers to the Holy Spirit as a person. John 14, verse 17. John 14, verse 17, I want you to pay attention to the, the pronouns that's found in this scripture. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Do you see the personal pronouns Him? Him, Him, Him. Because Jesus is trying to convey to the disciples that the Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is a person. Boy, I'm preaching good tonight or this morning. Can you say amen? The Bible says in Romans 8, 27, Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit has a mind. He searches the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has an intellect. He has a mind. Romans 8, 27. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So not only does the Holy Spirit have a mind, the Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit has emotions. The Holy Spirit has reaction. He has a will. What about Isaiah 63 verse 10? Isaiah 63 verse 10. The Bible says it like this, but they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit, so He turned Himself against them as an enemy, and He fought against them. So the children of Israel grieved the Holy Spirit, and that is an emotion. So the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the divine person, the third person of the Godhead. He is equal with God. The Scripture is clear that the Holy Spirit has a mind, a will, and emotions. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be grieved. Ephesians 4 and verse number 20. Ephesians 4, verse 20, he can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be worried, hurt, or displeased. Isaiah 63, verse 10, the Holy Spirit, you can resist the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you can lie to the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, 3, you can tempt the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, 9, and you can blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Mark 3, and verse 29. 
You see, you can do all these things to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit has an intellect. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. And let me ask you something. Have you grieved the Holy Spirit? Have you resisted the Holy Spirit? Have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Because you certainly can grieve the Holy Spirit. I'd rather, I would rather grieve my neighbor than to grieve the Holy Spirit. What are you saying, preacher? I am saying, in order for you to understand the power of Pentecost, you have to understand the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who has a mind, will, and emotions. And He's active and living in the world today. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a flame. He's not a wind, a cloud, a fire. He is likened unto a dove. He is likened unto a flame. He is likened unto a wind. He is likened unto oil. He's likened unto light. But the Holy Spirit is a person. Somebody say praise the Lord. Number two, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you remember what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak with other tongues. Now, this is what you need to notice. In the Old Testament, the word spirit is ruach. And let's just practice it. Say ruach. Ruach is the word breath. Well, guess what God did to Adam and Eve? Adam, he breathed into Adam. His ruach breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living being. So when God breathed into Adam, Adam became living and functional. But in the New Testament, the word spirit means pneuma, which means wind. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. The wind of the spirit came on Acts chapter 2, and they were all filled with the Spirit. Did you notice what happens here? In the Old Testament, when God breathed His Spirit, something came to life. But in the New Testament, when the wind came on the upper room, something also came to life, and that was the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ became alive when the Spirit of God empowered it on the upper room. You see, Luke chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus said it like this, John answered, said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one is mightier than I that is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, for he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You see, John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But Luke 3, 16 says, salvation is is not a stopping point. The salvation is a beginning point because you don't receive it all at salvation. There is something else that's more available to you after you come to the Lord. He said I, that John baptized you with water, but somebody is going to come after me and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, for John truly baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. Hallelujah. You see, if they had received it all as believers, He wouldn't tell them to wait for it. 
Now, let's have a little Bible class. You say, well, pastor, I believe that when I got saved, I got all of the spirit that I need. So this tongues business and this Holy Ghost business, uh, it's not for me because I got it all when I got saved. Y'all ready for this? So let's just look what the Bible says. Okay, did you, did you receive it all as salvation? Okay, now it's important. Now I want you to, everybody look up here. For those who don't have a Bible, just look up here because I'm going to prove to you that salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is two separate things. I'm going to say that again. Salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is two separate things. I'm going to say that again. Salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is two separate events. I said that four times. Can I say it again? Salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is two separate things. Is that right? Are we all in one court here? Now let's just have a Bible class, okay? Are you all ready for this? John chapter 20, verse 19. Just look, look right up here. John chapter 19, okay? Now look at this. John 19, John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is right after the resurrection. Right after Jesus was resurrected, Jesus appears miraculously in a room with the disciples. He says, Peace be unto them. And then the Bible says he breathes. Remember? An Old Testament word. The Old Testament word for the Holy Spirit is breath. He breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, one book over, which is the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 5. Now get this. Acts 1 verse 5. For John truly baptized you with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. Now let's stop here. I thought they had already received the Holy Spirit. I thought Jesus had already breathed on them. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now why in Acts chapter 1 verse 5 is he telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit? Did you all get it? Did you all get it? In John, he says, receive the Spirit of God. But then the next book over, right before he goes back to heaven, he says, wait for the Spirit. Now what is it? I thought I already had the Spirit. Because Jesus is saying this. Now hold on. The Jews were not saved. 
They didn't have a salvation experience. They were under the law. They got saved in John chapter 20 when Jesus appeared to them and gave them the Holy Spirit. And then he says, wait for the Holy Spirit because there is another experience outside of salvation. Did you all just hear what I said? In John 20, they received the Spirit. He breathed upon them and they received the Spirit. Just like God did in the Garden of Eden, He breathed into Adam and Adam became a living being. And that's what Jesus did. He breathed on the disciples and their spirit that was dead came alive and they were born again. But Jesus said there's more than just being saved. Go to the upper room and wait for the gift of the Spirit because it's going to be poured upon you all. So there's more than just being saved. There's another experience called the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, when somebody gets born again, do they have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Every person who is saved, they have the Holy Spirit. But not every person has received the experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, when they would make bread in the temple, the priest, when he would take the flour, he would take the oil, and you always put the oil, mix it in with the flour and the water when they were making the shoe bread. And so the oil was in the bread. But when the priest would take the bread out of the oven, he would also pour the oil up on the bread. You see, that's the same experience with us. If you are a Christian, the oil, which is the Holy Spirit, is already inside of you. But there is another experience where the Holy Spirit is poured up on you. Did you get that? It's poured up on you. Do you have the Holy Spirit if you're born again? Most certainly. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in him, but not every Christian has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter number 8, verse number 16. Listen to the words of Paul. Acts chapter 8, verse number 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So if you are a child of God, you do have the Spirit of God inside of you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Listen to the words of Paul again, speaking to the Christians. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you have the Spirit of God in you if you are a Christian? Somebody say, I have the Spirit of God in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Listen to the words of Paul. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not, you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which is God's. Now, I could really preach a sermon right there because everybody thinks their body belongs to themselves. 
that's not what this is about today. So verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Yes. The Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you. What about Galatians chapter 4? Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 6. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are, you do have the Holy Spirit in you if you are a believer. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 3. My last scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 3. Look at this. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you are a Christian this morning, if you love Jesus, if you have confessed your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He lives on the inside of you. You are now the temple of God. God's Spirit is residing on the inside of you. You have His Spirit on the inside. Let there never be a question to whether the Spirit is on the inside of you. The Spirit of God is on the inside of you. But ladies and gentlemen, there is another experience that there are some believers they have forgotten to ask for. There is another experience called the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the baptism of fire that Jesus said to his disciples, you are to go and wait for it. Even after they've already received the Spirit, Jesus tells them to go wait for it because Jesus said there's more than just being saved. There is another experience. This experience gives you the power to live a victorious life against sin and Satan. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to close with a story. And tonight, I'm going to take you through the Scriptures tonight. I'm going to show you in the Scripture, in the New Testament, where there is a difference between being saved and being Spirit-filled. There's a difference. And that's what we're going to study tonight. When you come, we're going to look in the New Testament and we're going to see examples where people were saved. And then we're going to see an example in the same story that they received this Spirit this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak with other languages. I'm going to close with a story. Kenneth Hagin was telling a story in his book about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I thought it was a fascinating story. As a matter of fact, I think it's a great story to close with. He tells of a story how um, he was uh, driving down the road in a major city. And as he was driving down the road in a major city, going to a preaching engagement, as he was driving, praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Kenneth, I want you to pull off the side of the road at the Catholic church that's up the street here. It's a big Catholic church. I want you to stop there. And I want you to go in, for the priest there is praying and asking if the baptism of the Spirit is still available to people today. And he says, I want you to go in there, lay hands on him, and he's going to receive the baptism. Kenneth was like, Lord, you know, I hope this is you because I'm going to make a fool of myself walking in that church if I'm not hearing your voice right. 
How many has ever been there before? Lord, I hope I'm hearing your voice right. So guess what? He saw the church, the big church. He pulls off the side of the road, gets out of his car, walks to the front door. And, of course, he says in the book his, his stomach, he was nervous. It's like, Lord, I hope I'm hearing your voice. I mean, I hope I'm really listening to what you have to say. So he opens the door. And if you've ever been to a Catholic church, those doors are big. So, you know, he's walking, and there was nobody in there. And he, he was walking down the aisle, that big aisle, and he was saying, Lord, I pray that you, 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 you told me to do what's right here. And off to the corner of his eye, he saw a man in a corner with a black outfit praying. And he walked up to the man, tapped him on the shoulder, and said, Father, I know you don't know me, but I was praying today in my car, and the Holy Spirit sent me to tell you that if you're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit told me to tell you it is real, and He wants to fill you. No joke. The priest looked up with crocodile tears rolling down his cheek. He said, I've been asking for it all morning. I've been seeking for it all morning. He laid hands upon him, and that man started speaking fluently in tongues right there at the altar. You know what happened? When the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, it broke down gender barriers. It broke down generational barriers. It broke down racial barriers. And I'm going to add the last one. It broke down denominational barriers. The Spirit is now poured out upon us all. If you come tonight, we're going to study the Scriptures and find out in the New Testament how these two are separate experiences, and I'm going to validate that in the Word of God.